Hi there, it's Melvin. Just wanted to take a moment to thank the team over at Thryzer for supporting this month's podcast sessions. Thryzer is a payment platform that you have to check out if you are a private pay therapist and accepting out-of-network benefits. It basically helps clients save on therapy up front. Thryzer can help verify a client's out-of-network benefit ahead of the first session so that they get transparency up front on what their out-of-pocket costs will be. I'll tell you more about Thryzer here in the middle of our session, but if you go to sellingthecouch.com forward slash Thryzer, you actually end, then enter the code STC upon sign up, you get your first $2,500 in fees waived. Again, that's over at sellingthecouch.com forward slash Thryzer, and be sure to enter the promo code STC. So we'll jump right into today's podcast session. Hey, this is Melvin. We're actually on break from the Selling the Couch podcast, but I thought it would be fun just to share some of the most popular episodes as well as some of my most favorite episodes from uh, Selling the Couch. We've had over 200 episodes now, and I know that for me, listening to some of these old episodes, I always pick up something and learn something new. So I hope that you enjoy today's session. Before we do get to today's session, I just wanted you to encourage you to check out the Selling the Couch directory if you haven't had a chance. Uh, basically, the directory makes it easier for us to connect and support one another as we grow our businesses. So after you register and you sign up, you get a, you can create a profile that lets us know more about your practice, the good work that you're doing in the world, uh, the unique niches that you serve, niches beyond just a traditional DSM diagnosis, uh, groups and workshops and retreats and areas of consultation, all of those different things. And after you fill that out, um, it's actually way uh, easier than it sounds. But uh, after you fill it out, your practice gets placed on a Google map. That way, fellow couchies can find you in order to cross-refer clients. If they need a consult on a certain area, they can do that as well. Um, one of the things that we actually have been working on that I, I'm just like really excited about um, with this recent update is we created a custom cross-refer tool. tool. Um, so if you look on any of these online communities, a lot of times you'll see, you know, hey, I'm looking for, you know, a clinician that that lives in this area, that accepts this insurance, that, you know, works with millennials. And so we thought, why not just make it easy and create a tool to do this? So you basically can run just some filters so you can, you know, ask questions like that. And you click just a, a number of different things and you get search results. Um, and it makes the process of just cross-referring a lot easier. You can learn more about the directory over at sellingthecouch.com forward slash directory. And please enter the promo code podcast for your first month absolutely free. We'll get right to today's session. Here we go. Hello, hello. Welcome to session 184 of Selling the Couch. Hope you're having a fantastic day. So I'm really excited about today's podcast conversation. Well, I'm excited about most of them, all of them, but um, I'm particularly excited about this one because I, one, I'm just excited for this guest, just the vulnerability that's involved in sharing the topic that that we're going to be talking about. My guest today is Katie Lycom. Katie is a licensed clinical social worker down in Decatur, Georgia. 
Her website is at katielikem.com and then her group practice is over at trueyousoutheast.com. And what we're actually talking about is Katie's private practice journey. And more specifically, the topic for today's session is from zero clients in four months to a $100,000 practice. I always struggle with topics like this because that are sort of monetary based, but I think there's a lot of wisdom in episodes like this. And kind of one of the things that Katie and I were actually talking off offline was just how difficult it is to build a business, you know, and I feel like a lot of times there's an emphasis on results, you know, like I've built this, but there isn't enough conversation on on the struggle to, to build a business and, and the struggle to get there. And uh, I hope that today's session does some justice to that that latter part of it. So we're going to learn a number of different things. Katie's own practice journey, what made her get into private practice. She actually opened her practice and didn't have a single client for four months. And so what did she do during this time? Just practically, how did she maintain a positive mindset during this time? I feel like mindset is so much an important part of this whole journey. And then we're going to talk about some of the unique marketing things and relationship building things that Katie's done in order to build and build out her practice. Before we do get to today's podcast session, I just wanted to take a moment to thank the team over at Therapy Notes for supporting today's podcast session. If you guys are looking for electronic health records that have just an awesome reputation and they're used by a ton of our colleagues, I encourage you to check out Therapy Notes. They're actually a local company. I've had a chance to visit with them and just have a wonderful team over there. Wonderful support and just a wonderful team over there. You can find more about Therapy Notes over at sellingthecouch.com forward slash therapy notes. And if you enter the promo code Melvin, you get two months absolutely free. That's actually a code just for our STC listeners. So we'll get right to today's podcast session. Here is my podcast conversation with Katie Lycom. Hey, Katie, welcome to Selling the Couch. It's great to be here, Melvin. Yeah, no, it's so good to connect with you. I was telling you right before we got started, it's always neat to ha- see people online, right? And then actually connect with them in person. And I'm always, I don't know, this is going to be like really, it's a technology is such a humbling thing, you know, because I'm here in Philadelphia, you're down south, right? And yet we're talking. So yeah, it's great. I've connected to clinicians all over the country. Yeah. You've had quite a private practice journey and I'm just so humbled that you're willing to share and excited to talk to you and just pick your brain. Wonderful. All right. So we'll get started. First of all, I just wanted to start really broad, which is what made you get into private practice? So what made me get into private practice was for a long time, like five years or so, I was working for core agencies in Georgia, which is in-home community-based services. I would have like 13 counties I was driving around to. And, oh my gosh. And Georgia is not small. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, sometimes my clients would no show and, and I'd drive all the way out there and it'd be really disappointing. And, and it was just, it was just really tough, hard work, but that's what I was doing to get my hours for my full licensure. So when I, as soon as I got my full, well, actually about a month before I got my full licensure, I said I wanted to be in private practice. I've had like a very similar story, which is like our previous sort of clinical experiences, we learn a lot, but then we also kind of realize like what we want 
in life and what we don't want. Right. And it seems like you sort of had that similar realization of, you know, maybe I don't want to, like, I love serving in this way, but maybe this, like the commutes and all of that really, I imagine, took take a toll. Yeah. Yeah. It was pretty hard. I was a clinical assessor. So I did assessments and sometimes I drive an hour for an assessment. So you would have like the measures and stuff with you and... Yeah. Oh, wow. So you had this experience and then was it sort of like a light bulb moment where you said, I'm going to get into private practice or was it sort of a gradual realization? What was that process like? It was. I actually, I'm a member of a pretty big listserv in my community and someone posted a sublease that was a block walk from my apartment. And I went and looked at the sublease and I kind of wrote a check for a deposit that day and came back and told my husband that I was opening a practice practice. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> How did he react? He was supportive. He was like, let's let's get into like full blown, let's do this mode. And mm-hmm. we had to, you know, go ahead and form an LLC and get a bank account open and do get the EIN number all within the space of a couple of weeks. Wow. Are you generally like a like once you set your goal on something, are you ready? Are you like, are you kind of a go-getter or are you more like, should I do this? Should I do this? Or how do you generally orient yourself? Because I'm sort of the latter. So. I'm more like, I go through this, should I do this? And then I r- maybe research like all night long mm-hmm. and find as much information as I can about it. And then within maybe a couple of days, I've made my decision and then I just go all in. That's awesome. You just said something which I think is like so powerful, which is you actually set a time limit on the thinking, analyzing, researching aspect of this. Right. Otherwise, it just goes on forever. Yeah. I mean, I know that I've struggled with this and I know that a lot of our colleagues, I imagine, that are listening, which is we have these wonderful ideas and these big dreams, but the dreams kind of stay in our mind. And the more we think about it, the more overwhelming it feels. And so then as a result, we don't do anything with it. Right. Right. I try to, I try not to talk myself out of things too much. Yeah. So even when you're doing that research, do you like, do you have like this internal dialogue of like, Katie, you should do this, shouldn't do this? Like, or is it more like you just kind of objectively look at sort of the research and data? Well, first of all, social media is fantastic. So, you know, whenever I have an idea, I go in all, I go in the Facebook groups and I, I search previous posts and read stuff that people have been saying for the last year about the topic I'm looking into, mm. kind of look at the pros and cons. I mean, one of my favorite things to do is a cost-benefit analysis. So that helps me make decisions. Mm. So how do you, I guess, how do you structure that cost-benefit analysis? Well, it's technically all in my head, but... <laughs> you know, what are the pros? What are the cons? Both, not just financially speaking, but with the amount of energy I have in in my day and, and the amount of motivation I have for the particular project. You know, you really have to think about, is this something that, that I can really do? Or is this something that is a great idea for a week? Yeah, this is like a really subtle thing because this is something I sort of struggle with. I do something similar with like a pro-con list. But sometimes I notice that like a certain pro or a certain con has more weight mm-hmm. than another one. So how do you sort of balance that and figure and navigate through that? A lot of a lot of what I think about is is my intentions and how I want to be seen. Mm. You know, I guess recently I could say it's been everybody's talking about coaching. Mm. So I can't say that it hasn't crossed my mind to do some coaching, right. but 
I have to think about the weighing the pros and cons of that, you know, what my basis of being a clinician is, which is to give therapy and and be a good, solid clinician. Right. So something like that, you know, that, that pro weighs a little less heavily of, of being a coach than, than the con of not being able to be as great, not Mm. as great of a clinician, but focus on being a clinician as much. Right. You also alluded to like the energy component. And I was wondering if you could just sort of share about that. Cause I, I feel like I didn't always do that, which is think about like how much energy I had to give. Yeah. So, you know, a lot of times when I get an idea or I see something on Facebook and I'm like, Oh, that person's doing that. I could do that too. I really have to think about it in the long-term aspect. So I'm sure I can put all my energy towards this for you know, two weeks, a month, but is it something that I can really sustain and put my energy towards for a period of six months, a year? Mm. So you actually, which is a really nice thing to do. So you're not, you don't like just the excitement of it, right? And one, you know, the weeks or the months, you're actually thinking several months ahead and sort of thinking about consistent energy and do I have the energy to sustain that? Right, exactly. You know, that's a good, good way of looking at it. Because I know a lot of times I get so excited about something and then like four weeks later, I'm like, uh, why did I do this? (laughs) Yes. Just shifting a little bit. So you opened the practice and I imagine that you had so much nervousness, excitement about the private practice and opening your doors. Yet you shared with me that you actually didn't have a client for the first four months. What did you do during this time practically? Practically speaking, I worked 1099 at a company that went into nursing homes and I did bedside therapy for clients in nursing homes. Mm. And I did that about two or three days a week. So that's what I did as some income. And then about, I guess about the fifth or sixth month in private practice, once I got a caseload, I you know, I stopped that job and focused solely on my private practice. But the first four months, aside from doing that, I was listening to, you know, every day a podcast would come out. I'd listen to the podcast. I was setting up my website. I, you know, I contacted Brighter Vision and did revision after revision on my website. I fell into the trap of staying up till midnight working on things and just tried to learn as much information as possible. I learned how to do insurance billing and set up all my insurance billing and I credentialed with insurance companies. I basically did all the things that I probably should have done three months earlier Mm. in those four months. I feel like everything sort of works out in a time and season, right? Because I I can't imagine like what if you had been so like bursting at the seam full that like, where would you even find the time to do that, you know, when the practice started? Right, right. So the other side of this is that those are things you did practically. Like, what did you do in terms of mindset during this time? Like, how did you think, you know, how did you say to yourself, you know what, like, it's okay, I don't have clients right now. Here are the things I can be doing. So mindset was really hard. And I'm really open and honest with people. So mindset was extremely hard for me. Luckily, my husband was a great cheerleader and could calm me down on the nights that I was like in tears. And then, you know, I would have little wins and little successes along the way and try and build upon those those wins and those successes. And mm. I like to learn new information. So just the aspect of learning about how to be in private practice was rewarding to me. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think 
for me, I don't know, like I feel like a big part of being a business owner is the practical stuff, right? But a lot of, I feel like even the bigger part is is really the mindset stuff. Yeah, yeah, it really is. And luckily I have a pretty good resolve myself. So I have an easy, I have an easier time with mindset, but there, there are times when, when I need a a little mindset reset. (laughs) Right. I think one of the most beautiful things about private practice is we get to select niches and specializations and trainings that, that we are really interested in. What niche did you focus on or niches did you focus on and what made you focus on them? Yeah. So my niche is working with the LGBTQ community. Specifically, I work with men in the LGBTQ community with high anxiety and relationship stress. Mm. And then I am also a gender therapist. So I'd say 75% of my clients are transgender and transitioning. How did you become known in that niche? I became known in the niche because that's just what I chose to do. And I wrote my website for that niche. And, you know, from the very beginning, I knew that I was going to have a niche and not be a generalist. I took, I think I took like 50 CEUs last year on transgender mental health care. So I just kind of decided, picked it and formed my education around it. So then was it like, was the referrals, like, was it word of mouth or how, how are you getting these referrals? Like, it sounds, I mean, the training, it sounds like it was wonderful and helpful. Yeah, the training was wonderful and helpful, but with word of mouth, you know, anytime I introduced myself over coffee, anytime I shared something on my social media, you know, I made sure to share things about gender identity and working with clients who are transitioning And last year, I started um, giving CEUs about working with clients who are transgender and just, I guess, became known for it. It's so smart because, again, it's like a very subtle thing you said, but it's like very powerful, which is you kept the niche ahead of you. And Mm -hmm. then you thought about the marketing and how you could use that marketing to always point to that niche. Right. As opposed to just being like, oh, I'm going to go on Instagram or I'm going to go on Pinterest or I'm going to write a blog post without having sort of a guide of where, who you're writing to, where you're going. Right. Right. I always, I always had my ideal client in mind when I was even from the get go. And I think that's one of the reasons why it took me so long to get clients was because in the beginning, I still, you know, I was getting calls, but if they weren't, if they weren't something that I knew I could work with, I, I didn't take them. Were you always like, I don't know, this might be a silly question, but did you always have confidence in terms of who you were like comfortable working with versus not? You know, The only reason I ask that is because I feel like a lot of private practitioners, they get a call and they feel that pull to be like, oh my gosh, I need to fill out my thoughts, you know? Yeah, I, I actually, I was. I was pretty confident. And I think that comes from from the years of working in core services where I didn't get a choice in who my caseload was. So I had worked with, you know, children as young as four and adults as old as 94. Hmm. So through that experience, I had the opportunity to figure out who would be a good fit for me. I wanted to shift a little bit. And you said, one of the things that you had mentioned to me is in the last year, I have marketed to over 300 people, either in person or through mail people that you've never known now know who you are and they know your niche. Two-part question. So what are three things that were have worked well with this approach? And then what are things that what are three things that haven't worked as well with that approach? 
Yeah. So let's see here. Three things that have worked well. What's really worked well, I think, is the combination of mailing letters and doing in-person marketing. Mm -hmm. Because if I was doing all in-person marketing, it would be exhausting to meet 300 people. <laughs> so keeping my my needs as far as, you know, how extroverted I can be and, and what energy I have again right. to put towards it has been effective. And then sending letters was actually pretty effective. I sent a letter once to a surgeon who hmm. actually responded to me and I ended up talking with him for about 45 minutes at a staff meeting. Um, wow which was really surprising to me because everybody would say that surgeons don't have time for you. Yeah, yeah, but, that's sort of the stereotype, right? Right. But so that was that was really rewarding. That and, is cool. And then I also, you know, through this, I've been able to make friends. Um, you know, I joined a, a networking group pretty early on of people who were new to my city and now have a, a really good friend who's a fellow therapist and we go shopping together. And so That's it's awesome. been fun as well. When you were reaching out to these people, this is really random, but is like, was it strategic? Like, were you saying like, these are individuals that work with the LGBT pop, LGBTQI population or transgendered population or what? Like, or was it more like, let me just reach out to everybody in my community? Yeah. So I did, I did both strategically. I, you know, reached out to people who in the very beginning, I reached out to therapists that had the same niche as me. And then over time, you know, as, as people would ask for certain referrals on listservs, or I would, you know, respond and ask people to coffee and things like that. So I started out very specific and, and now I'm much more broad. Cool. And then the three things that you think didn't work well, with the with that sort of <laughs> approach, yeah. So I probably spent a lot more money on stamps than I needed to. Oh my gosh! I imagined like you became known in your post office. <laughs> yeah. So and and I guess the cost of sending a letter isn't very expensive, but when you're sending a lot at once, it's it's it can be a cost. Another. What do you think the letters overall like? Were they was it worth the stamps, or is it kind of like was it kind of a, a crapshoot? Um, honestly, it was kind of a crapshoot, yeah. but, but I did get some good responses out of it. Right. So it was worth it in the end, but it was definitely, definitely kind of a crapshoot. Yeah. And then, um, I guess some things that didn't work. It's hard to say what didn't work because I enjoy marketing. Mm. So even if I didn't, you know, even if I didn't get a good referral source, I still had fun. Mm. So that's that's one of the fun things about you know having coffee with other therapists is you get to connect with someone for an hour and and learn about the other person and and really form connections with your fellow therapist. So although you know sometimes sometimes it wasn't I guess monetarily lucrative, it was still rewarding to me to get that that human connection with my fellow therapist. Yeah, absolutely. There, we have a meetup group of therapists here in private practice here in Philly, and we meet quarterly. And when I get to meet with colleagues, you know, some of them are like related to niches and spaces I work with, others are not. But regardless, I just, it is, I, I, I love that. You know, like I feel like our, our 
field can, it can, this work can be so isolating on multiple levels. And I don't know, I, I agree with you, just that human connection, even if it's not sort of, I don't know, I, I don't know, I don't see it like as a, this is a referral source, you know, I sort of see as this is a colleague and, you know, I'm right. excited to get to know them. Right. And you're right. Private practice can be very isolating. A lot of times, you know, I have like a, a four office suite, but I'm in here alone. Mm. So I try to do some form of one-on-one networking once a week, mm. just to just to get that social aspect. Right. Um, why do you think the practice has become so successful? I think the practice has become so successful for a few reasons. The first reason is that I didn't give up. Um, mm. You know, I, I could have easily said said stop in mm. in those first four months, but I had a vision and I had a plan, and I was just sure that I was going to get to the end. Mm. Um, so I think, and, and there's, there's pros and cons to that, you know, obviously being so steadfast can have its pros and cons, but I think the pros outweighed the cons and I got where I am today. Right. Yeah, no, it's, it is a balance. Cause I know for me, I think one of the things I've often struggled with is striving to want to be successful. What is the, the cost, right? Um, right time away from family, health, those kind of things, at least for me, it's been like that, you know? Yeah, definitely. And, you know, I mentioned before we got on the call that I, that I have a stepson who's 13. Mm-hmm. So I think that, you know, had he been younger, it would have been a lot more difficult for me to do the things that I do because there are lots of nights that I'm gone to networking events. And, right. you know, like I said, if he had been, if he had been younger, it would have been a lot more difficult to do. Yeah. I think, you know, with, with our daughter, I think this is like one of the like hard lessons I'm learning in life. Just that, you know, all of this comes time to build a business takes time, right? Mm-hmm. And especially when you have a young one, it's time away from from them and their lives. And, you know, it's like, and I think for me, it's been this like humbling realization of, and perm- just really giving myself permission to be like, you know what, it's okay to kind of take a step back a little bit on the business stuff, you know, and focus on other stuff. Because at the end of the day, what Mel, at the end of the day, you're building this business for family, right? To build, to spend more time and have a good quality of life, those kind of things, you know? Yeah, that's, you know, I tell my husband almost every day that the reasons I do this are are to provide for the family. So if, you know, if you're not around, then why are you doing it? Katie, I wanted to wrap up with the question, which is if you could have a conversation with the younger Katie that was really excited about private practice, but had a lot of unknowns, what advice would you give her? Um, I would say... I would say to start the research a little earlier mm-hmm. and and learn more about the business side of it. In fact, oh goodness, I guess like 20 years ago when I was in grad school, I had my favorite professor told me to take an accounting class in grad school. And I, of course, didn't like math and said, no, no, that's ridiculous. So now I kind of wish that I had listened to that professor 15 or 20 years ago. Yeah, I had an old supervisor who told me, not the accounting tip, but that's a really good tip. But he told me to always have your hand in multiple pots when it comes to income streams, especially in our field. And right. I didn't understand that initially, but it makes a lot of sense now. Katie, I'm, I'm so grateful for you. Thank you so much for just sharing and just being open and honest. 
where can we learn more about you and the awesome work you're doing? And I know you've got a lot of stuff with trainings and stuff like that. So please feel free to let us know what you're up to. Yeah. So my group practice is True You Southeast. You can find us on the web at, you know, trueyousoutheast.com. We have the ability to see clients in Georgia, South Carolina, and Virginia. So that's pretty cool. That is cool. And I have a clinician's It's an LGBTQIA clinicians learning platform that I use Thinkific for, and I offer online CEUs to be an LGBTQ affirming therapist. That's awesome. And where can we learn more about that? You can learn more about it on my website, TrueU Southeast, underneath um, CEU classes. Perfect. Yeah, sounds easy enough. And I'll put that on the show notes page, which you guys can find over at sellingthecouch.com forward slash session 184. Katie, thank you so much for doing this and have a great rest of your day, okay? All right, thanks. You too. Hi there. Hope you enjoyed my conversation with Katie and especially if you are in a season of doubt and fear and uncertainty with your private practice, I hope that today's podcast session has been a wonderful source of encouragement for you. Katie mentioned a number of resources, including some trainings and things that she's been working on. And I also wrote down some of the main points that Katie talked about. And you can find all of that on the show notes page over at sellingthecouch.com forward slash session 184. Again, that's sellingthecouch.com forward slash session 184. I was just thinking about this conversation with Katie. And I think one of the the biggest lessons that I've taken from, I don't know, I'm learning just in this conversation and just in life in general is that, you know, building a business, none of this happens overnight. And even the practices or even the businesses that have full clients, even when they get started, right, the reality is there still needs to be a foundation that needs to be built. And so I hope that today's podcast session, if anything has, has been a reminder for me that all of this takes time and effort And it really takes this intense focus on the niche you want to work with and really catering a lot of the marketing into that, to that one specific focus, right? I I know for me, one of the things I always struggle with is, oh, I need to be in this niche or this niche or this niche or this social media platform. And to me, that always gets overwhelming. I always have to remind myself to slow down. And so, um, I hope that just the conversation today is, has done the same for you. As we wrap up, again, wanted to take a moment to thank the team over at Therapy Notes for supporting today's podcast episodes. I know that the thought of opening a practice and much less keeping it organized and running smoothly, that's a challenge for many of us. And so if you are looking for software that makes it a lot easier to manage it, um, I recommend Therapy Notes. They let you manage everything from clinical notes to filing claims to scheduling and more. Plus, they have this awesome support team. You actually get unlimited phone and email support. So even if you're ever stuck, they're always there to help. And again, they gave our community and uh, STC listeners a free promo code. So just enter the promo code MELVIN, M-E-L-V-I-N, when you sign up and you get two free months. Have a great rest of your day and I will see you next time. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Selling the Couch podcast. For more great content and to stay up to date, visit www.sellingthecouch.com.
Hey there, hope you enjoyed today's podcast session. And especially if this is your second time listening to this podcast session, I hope that you've picked up just a a new level of insight and something that helps you on your private practice journey. As I mentioned at the beginning, I will be back with new episodes very soon. And before we wrap up again, just wanted to encourage you to check out the Selling the Couch directory over at sellingthecouch.com forward slash directory. Um, I actually wanted to use this time just to talk a little bit more about not just the directory, but what we're doing and what my big vision for STC is. You know, as Selling the Couch grows, uh, what really weighs on me is how do we use um, our influence and how do we use the resources? And for me, how do I steward well um, all of what I'm creating? And so we're actually taking 50% of the profits from directory sales to create a scholarship fund for kids who have been rescued from brothels in the commercial sex trade. Um, When I was a grad student, I um, was very fortunate to work three weeks in Bombay, India with a NGO and with social workers in Kamartipura, which is the largest concentrated red light district in the world. Um, it's the largest red light district in Asia. And uh, I spent three weeks there, um, spent uh, a day right in the heart of the center of the red light district, um, going into brothels, with um with with the social workers um doing lots of education on everything from HIV AIDS um all the way to uh trying to figure out what what some of these workers the challenges they were facing and I spent the majority of my time about 5 hours away um helping at a school where the kids of these workers um were were and uh just to teaching different classes, uh, getting to spend time with them, reading bedtime stories to the little ones. And f- uh, ever since all of that happened, I just have always felt like, man, if I ever get the chance to do some big things in the world, I want to make sure that uh, everything I create uh, leads to something way bigger than me. And so, um, and fortunately, Selling the Couch happened, and now the STC directory is happening. And so this is where... Uh, I'm hoping that, you know, we can dedicate our time and our resources. And I really have some big plans as we go forward with this. Again, you can learn more about the Selling the Couch directory over at sellingthecouch.com forward slash directory. Be sure to enter the promo code podcast to get your first month absolutely free. Have a great rest of your day and uh, I will see you next time. So if you've been listening to the STC podcast for a while, or you've been listening to podcasts and you've had this thought of Mel, I would love to launch my own podcast in order to grow my business. Just wanted to encourage you to check out our free podcasting workshop, which is over at sellingthecouch.com forward slash podcasting workshop. You can basically sign up at a day and a time that works for you. It's 90 minutes. And when I do these workshops or when I record them, I truly believe in the quality teaching, so it's going to be well worth your time. We're going to go through gear recommendations and how to launch strategically and how to think about monetizing your podcast and how to line up your podcast with your existing offers and how to do it strategically and authentically uh, and not salesy and slimy um, and all of those things. So again, the link is over at sellingthecouch.com forward slash podcasting workshop.